0: let's see, a few things uh, I want to cover today. We're going to talk about civil war. What does it look like? What's the likelihood of it? Um, it you know, is are we heading towards civil war? And if so, um, what does civil war look like in America in the 21st century? What does civil war look like anyway in the 21st century? So we'll talk about that. Uh, but we're also going to, why isn't, oh God, I have to press that. All right. Um, we'll talk about that, uh, but before we get to that, a, a couple of things, uh, I wanted to mention. One is with regard to the Solomon Rushdie affair, uh, all indications are he survived the attack. He's, uh, I think still in hospital on ventilator, but it looks like he will survive. He might've lost an eye, uh, but as, as horrible as the attack was, at least it, it, it didn't kill him, um. You know, he's 75 years old, so it doesn't take much. But uh, um, anyway, he is alive, and that is a good thing. So uh, good for that. What's interesting is that Iran, I think earlier today, uh, uh, commented on the attack on Salman Rushdie and commented on the fact that uh, they are not responsible. They didn't do it. But they said uh, they're not surprised, and uh, if anybody's to blame for what happened to Salman Rushdie, it is Salman Rushdie. So they have basically said that it's his fault, basically for insulting Islam, uh, and, uh, and, and have not kind of rejected uh, that justification, kind of the, the religious justification for it. So, uh, of course, nothing, nothing will happen to the Iranians. The Iranians have nothing to worry about, so they're not particularly concerned. Um, about uh, about uh, repercussions or anything else, they could say whatever the hell they want. Um, it, nobody's nobody's actually going to go after them, and nobody's going to do anything about it. Um, that was the one story. The second story I wanted to highlight quickly um, that I think you might find uh, you might find interesting. Not related to the topic of the show today. This thing will not come off the back of my computer. I'm saying, God. There it is. All right. It's coming off. Peeled off. OK, that's the light. Um, the second thing uh, that uh, was in the news today that I thought was uh, was interesting uh, and, and something we've talked about in the, in the past in the show so that I could say I told you so is uh, economic numbers came out from China this morning. And they're pretty bleak. Uh, China's clearly in a massive downturn. Uh, people already expecting uh, weak numbers to come out of China but the numbers that actually came out are significantly significantly weaker than expectations so China is as I've told you uh, many times China is um, in economic trouble uh, it is it is probably facing uh, economic contraction probably facing a recession uh, and uh, I don't think this is just kind of a a short-term issue that, China can easily bounce back off, although the numbers might be better in the future because they could just rig them better. But um, I don't think this is just COVID. I don't think this is just the lockdowns. I don't think this is just uh, some short-term problems in the Chinese economy. This is structural. This is long-term. Uh, this uh, this is not completely um, not completely surprising, uh, and. Um, you know, I think this is—I think this is the beginning, of kind of a slow decline of Chinese power uh, that we're going to see in the uh, in the kind of coming decades. Exactly how all of this manifests itself and how it plays out, who knows? And there might be periods in which it bounce, the Chinese economy bounces back. But look, dictatorships and authoritarians don't produce great economies, and uh, we shouldn't be—we shouldn't fear dictators and authoritarians. Uh, you know, the fear, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, should be about our own situation and our own lives and our own country and what we're doing over here. But China, in my view, is, uh, is a lot less of a threat than many people believe it is uh, because it's weak, because it's fundamentally weak, and I think only to get weaker. Remember, China has a massive population. It has a lot of people, hundreds of millions, who are still in, uh, in, in real poverty. Nationalist sentiments are on the rise in China, as you'd expect. A, a regime in trouble always creates uh, uh, creates uh, foments uh, uh, nationalistic feelings uh, in order to divert attention from the uh, from their failures. I think Xi's regime is clearly failing. Uh, he'll probably get elected for a third term, unprecedented um, third term uh, in October or November, I think. Uh, but that's because he's strong politically, even though he's weak when it comes to both his uh, handling of the economy, his handling of COVID, and I think ultimately uh, he'll be shown uh, as weak in terms of militarily and and the handling of the military. It's not clear uh, that uh, joining China's fate to Russia or being a supporter of Russia is going to work well long-term for the Chinese. All right, so I thought that was interesting. That you know, there's a there's a a bunch of uh, economic info that came out today on uh, the Chinese economy. You can look it up and you can find it. It's uh, it is uh, it is not China's not in good shape. Not in good shape at all. All right, so uh, let's let's uh, uh, transition to the main story, which is I mean topic today, which is civil war. Uh, just to remind you that if you want to ask me anything, if you want to um, uh, you can ask about any topic, whether it's a topic we're talking about today or not. You can use the Super Chat to do that. Super Chat is also a way in which you can support the show, support what I do here. Uh, and, uh, there's a button at the bottom there and, and you can use that to, uh, uh, to ask questions and to support. So feel free to jump in with questions on, on this topic or any other topic that you see fit. All right. So, um. Obviously, huge, uh, a huge amount of, a huge number of stories coming out of uh, both media on the left and on the right uh, about the response to the raid on Donald Trump. It, is, it has raised the temperatures. It has raised anxiety. We saw this guy, you know, supposedly attack the FBI building and, uh, and, and get shot and somebody else try to ram his car into, into the Capitol. You know, we're not even sure they're related, but but it, it just seems like people are on edge. People are freaking out, and there was a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of talk of uh, civil war. I mean, uh, Stephen Crowder, um, af- right after the, the FBI search of uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago property, "Tomorrow is war," he, he he announced. I think it was on Twitter, and and then the next day, you know. He said, today is war. That is all you will get on today's show. And he did a whole show on today is war. Um, and the question, and, and then, of course, the New York Times has, has covered just the rise in, in uh, the, uh, the, the violent language coming out of the right. In this case, uh, this means war. We're at war. Country on the verge of civil war. All of these are titles and tweets and people... Uh, you know, people signing off on uh, on what is going on in the world, and it seems like the raid, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, has just intensified these emotions, intensified these feelings, and and caused everybody kind of uh, significantly to uh, to get excited about this. Uh, so I, let's talk about it. So first, uh, two stories, uh, two opinion pieces, really that uh, I'm going to be drawing on that uh, I think have given me. So food for thought on this, and I found it interesting. One was in The Daily Beast by Bonnie Christian Friday, um, and it was published, I don't know, published uh, uh, you know, just yesterday or the day before, something like that. And the, uh, and that's really from kind of a, she's probably on the left perspective, given this is The Daily Beast. And then um, the other one is from the right, uh, uh, John Hawkins. Uh, John Hawkins is like a, a pro-Trump, rightists but one of the more um you know more articulate ones and um and he writes a substack that i subscribe to and i get a Substacks, and uh so she wrote uh bonnie wrote americans are too pampered and neurotic to fight a civil war and um, and john hawkins says are americans really too pampered and neurotic to fight a, a civil war so they kind of went and, you know uh uh went at each other and i found I found the exchange interesting and uh, that's kind of what inspired uh, my uh, my discussion my discussion today uh, let me just see where are we I want to make sure I'm keeping up with the chat let's move that over there move this over here and open that all right again I, I need to travel with a, a, a big screen so I can uh, track everything that's going on. So there's a lot of talk of war. There's a lot of talk of civil war. But, you know, what does uh, uh, Crowder mean by war? What's he really talking about? And this comes from, from the piece in the Daily Beast. You know, what does war mean to Crowder? It primarily means, means, mean memes. It primarily means... Uh, lots of Twitter posts. It primarily means yelling and shouting and, pow- and, and, and pounding on the table. Uh, I think at the uh, uh, you know on his on his war show, um, y- you know he said it's time to fight for every square inch. Uh, he said fight like hell. And uh, what should you do? Well, you should do is go. You know what's the action? What's the what's the call to action when he's talking about let's go fight a war? This is this is serious. we You know, what's the call to action? The call to action is go to CrowderShop.com, use code FIGHT, and you get 15% off of your, I don't know, let's fight the war t-shirts or something like this, right? So there's a lot of chest beating. But chest beating is primarily something that people like Crowder and others on the right, and we'll talk about the left in a minute, have used in order to rile people up and get people excited and really to get people to watch the show. I mean, it's why there are more people right now watching this show than maybe usual at this time of day um, uh, live because the title is Civil War and how how can you not? It's it's how can you not come and watch a title of Civil War? There's a lot of chest beating. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of the use of the term war to 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 indicate a a, a real A real conflict of ideas, a real conflict of of ideas, a real conflict of rhetoric, a real, you know, trying to get people active and excited. And and the the terminology of war often applies to this. Yes, I know some of you watch the show, watch every show they can. I'm not... not But at the margin, you got to admit at the margin, my show on uh, on um, beautiful romantic art is going to score fewer people than civil war. Are we going to civil war? (laughs) It's just that's the way it is. Right. Um, You know, we've got we've got a a, a, a lot of people who are are making the case that this is serious, that uh, there is going to be a a civil war. particularly over the last three years, particularly since the last election. There's been a lot of discussion on this on the on the right. um, We'll talk again. We'll we'll get to the left. Don't worry. Um, You know, the 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 storming of uh, I mean, think about the acts of violence over the last three years. We got uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter burning down. Uh, city centers uh, burning down stores, rioting, breaking windows. I mean, you saw the pictures out of Portland. It was it was almost civil war like just in Portland for a few months. Uh, it was it was un, un, you know unbelievable destruction. And, and what was interesting in Portland was that most of the uh, focus of the demonstrators was the focus of the destruction was on most of it, not all of it, was on. Uh, government buildings and federal government buildings and was it, it was like a, a, an uprising against the federal government in a, in, a, in this little uh, locality of Portland you notice that all of that has gone and kind of uh, dissipated uh, you know you saw the destruction of the police department in Minnesota and in other places around the world the attacks of the police department we saw the January 6th attack on the uh, on the um, on uh, Congress Um and, and you know, again, and so we've seen an increase in violence. You're also seeing, I think, more kind of uh, uh, people taking up, taking guns, usually it's crazy individuals, and going out and using a political manifesto, political agenda, typically from the right, um, and, and just going shooting people, whether it's uh, minorities or whether it's immigrants, whether it's in... You know, we've seen that in a number of different locations after the first, after the last few years. So there's no question there is a rise over the last few years of political violence, of violence that is motivated by politics. And that is just part of the world in which we live and part of the reality in which we live right now. And you can see, and many people are warning, that this escalation, that this increase, this escalation and this increase is. Aiming towards civil war, ultimately. Right. Is it? Is that where we're heading? Is it possible? Now, again, this is from the Daily Beast. Um, I mean, this is what she writes, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it. I don't think that most I, I, I don't uh, so she's talking about the violence. She says I don't I, I don't even I don't think that this is most people the violence. I don't think. It's most people who like uh, uh, law, extremist politics on the internet. There is a madness of crowds, yes, and mobs will do things their individual members will not. But there's a yawning gap between rage booking while you watch Fox News or getting hyped about Make America Great Again on Twitter and bludgeoning a real-life human being because he voted the wrong way. It's a gap I don't believe most Americans are prepared to cross. Now, for the most part, I think she's right. But we'll see, for the most part. We are, as a people, I'm reading from her, really uh, where there's no air conditioning, in the forest, without refrigerators. Do we hate each other enough to eat hard track, to undergo battle surgeries? Who, Who knows about foraging anymore? Can you start a fire with nothing but sticks? And there's no YouTube tutorials. They'd knock down the cell towers during a civil war. In the last two years, large swaths of the country declared their lungs too weak to breathe through cotton cloth, while others insisted it was deadly dangerous to take on open air, to take an open air walk on the beach without the same cloth. Are these people actually going to go to fight? Right. I mean, are we really, Americans really going to go out into the woods and start killing each other? I mean, put aside the hatred. There's a lot of hatred out there. There really is hatred out there. The hatred is legit. But most Americans who hate, most of the people I see, most of the people even complaining on this chat about the state of the world and how ugly it is and how horrible it is, are... Complainers who sit on the sofa and complain They sit on Twitter Or they sit on Whatever the medium of their preference On the uran Brook show And they bitch and complain They get riled up And they might join a protest here and there But do you really understand What a civil war really means What it means to fight What life is like When fighting like a civil war occurs? How many people actually believe enough in their ideas? Any ideas? To be willing to go out there and literally start killing people? But not just killing people, but you know, be shot at, live on the run have to do all the things that you, as a survivalist, have to do? How many people would know how to do it? Very few. I mean, most Americans, I think even with guns, yeah, they can go out and they can shoot at targets, and it's fun and it's exciting, and they think that when the time comes, they will use those guns to defend themselves against whom? Is it the American military that is unbelievably equipped and unbelievably trained and could wipe you out in an instant? And it has big weapons with incredible accuracy and can hunt you down anywhere using drones and high tech. How many Americans are really willing to do that? Hundreds? Thousands? To be a civil war, it would have to be thousands. They'd have to be well trained and they'd have to be able to survive for a while. And if they're going up against the US military, would they? How many? War has always been a young person's game. Young people go to war. Old people, older people, over 30-year-olds, rarely go to war. Too much to lose. Life too comfortable. Eh, And physically, maybe not in that good shape. I mean, look at Americans. Look at Americans. They're obese. They're out of shape. I mean, how many how many american young people how many american young people today qualify never mind want but qualify to go into the military i actually had the numbers here let me see if i can find the numbers <laughs> it's some pathetic number who who qualify from from purely physical perspective let me find this for you yeah The pool of those eligible to join the military continues to shrink, with more young men and women than ever disqualified for obesity, drug use, or criminal records. Last month, Army General uh, Chief of Staff uh, John uh, McConville testified before Congress that that only 23% of Americans 17 to 24 are qualified to serve without a waiver to join, down from 29% just a few years ago. An internal defense department survey obtained by NBC News found that only 9% of those young Americans eligible to serve in the military had any inclination to do so. The lowest number since 2007. So the Army is having a problem with recruiting anybody, primarily, or to a large extent, because there aren't that many young people who can run and jump and shoot and do all this stuff physically. We are today... A country of wimps, of unfit, emotionalistic. We're good at yelling. We're good at shouting. We're good at target practice. We're good at taking our guns out to the woods and shooting stuff. But what would we be fighting for? What are we willing to reduce our standard of living and quality of life dramatically for? What are we willing to live in the wilderness and be hunted down for? Very few people, very, very few people would be willing to do that. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Be a lemon antifa, be a lemon antifa wouldn't last five minutes. Be a lemon antifa. The only reason, the only reason they got as violent as they did, the only reason they succeeded in the kind of looting and destruction that they succeeded in, is because they were treated with kick gloves. It's only because. the police didn't go after them. I mean, how long would it actually take to shut down a BLM riot or an Antifa gathering? And Antifa are cowards. If they don't have 15 to 1 odds, they don't fight. 15 to 1 odds in their favor. If it actually got into a real battle, they would run like the cowards that they are. Well, we definitely need stronger law enforcement. There's a question about that. But I'm talking about who in the, among the American people, who among these young punks is actually willing, actually able, actually wants to go out there and actually engage in a fight? My argument is almost nobody is competent. Almost nobody, nobody would do it. They just and and you know wars. Um, people have to believe in something deeply and yes there are people who believe stuff in deeply many of the antifa people believe their stuff deeply but they're incompetent and useless think about the january 6th insurgents and i think what happened in january sixth is horrific and awful but think about how incompetent and pathetic where they were a bunch of yahoos walking into capitol hill no plan no leadership Some of them had weapons. They were willing to beat up cops, but not use the weapons. Why? Because they knew what the response would be. Who exactly is going to lead these people? Well, maybe General Flynn, I guess. So, there is a real case to be made. That... The likelihood of a civil war is zero Not because we don't hate each other Not because there's no real strife Not because there's real, not real disagreement But because there's just nobody to fight Nobody willing to actually Pick up arms because the American people Are too lazy, pampered uh, uh, Overweight Unfit To actually Engage In a war And this would be a war And depending on how this civil war would land up, right? there's a good chance you would be fighting against the best trained military in the world. How long would you survive? So, that is an argument, I think a fairly strong argument. And, and let me add one more element to this. Other than a few crazies on the Antifa side, BLM, and on the I don't know, prob, I, I don't know who represents the, the kind of crazy right, but you know, the kind of shooters of, of uh, that have gone in and, and, and shot up places. Um, on the right, how many are there on both extremes, on both sides of this? Um, how many are there that are really willing to actually go out and kill people? I mean there might be, there might be hundreds on each side, but are there thousands? Are there tens of thousands? Are there hundreds of thousands? I mean, a civil war, uh, uh, we have a population of 350 million people. Is it, are there several million on each side that are willing to actually go to battle, actually willing to kill mm-hmm. fellow Americans because they disagree politically? Is that something that is that we realistic thing, realistically think is going to happen? I mean, I think you can make a case that right now, no, that while there might be some hundreds of people here, hundreds of people there who are willing to go out and kill fellow Americans because they disagree about the outcome of the 2020 election. It's a tiny, 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 tiny minority at this point, as bad as our political culture is. It's still a tiny minority. So uh, is a civil war therefore impossible? Well, no, it's certainly still possible. Things can get bad and they can get bad quickly. While, you know, civil wars don't necessarily involve 100% of the population fighting, uh, The Civil War, for example, the U.S. Civil War, about 10% of Americans fought fought in. In World War II, about 11%. The number of Americans serving in the military today is less than 1%. But you can imagine a civil war breaking out represented by those people who can take up arms. In particular, those people in the military who not only can take up arms, but are trained and qualified to take up arms. You can imagine a world in which the military is split and where different units within the military are fighting each other. Some representing, quote, one elected government and the other representing an insurgency or representing something else. Hard to tell. But you can imagine the U.S. military splitting and fighting within. You could imagine states seceding, and the federal government attempting to stop them from seceding, and force being used in 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 those kind of interchanges that could be pretty brutal, and pretty big, and 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 pretty significant, and where soldiers leave the federal, you know, military and join their state militias in order to fight against the federal government, and you know you could imagine things like that get pretty pretty ugly. You could also imagine a world in which small groups of people, hundreds, maybe thousands, who are well-equipped, well-trained, create havoc within society, terrorize, kill, destroy, and where civilization crumbles, not because it's millions of people fighting each other, but just because a few very well-trained people create real I mean, imagine if dams are bombed, uh, uh, electricity is taken out. For the same reason, I talked about the fact that Americans are pampered and therefore those Americans will not fight. For the same reason, those kind of Americans, how would they survive if there's fighting around them? It's this fighting that's taking out the infrastructure with which they live. So there's, they could be domestic terrorism. Significant domestic terrorism. And domestic terrorism, we saw some domestic terrorism in the 60s and 70s, but it wasn't very well organized. It wasn't very uh, sophisticated. It wasn't didn't use weapons very cleverly. Imagine if you had the money. Imagine some, I don't know, billionaire or rich guy who, who, who wants to fund a civil war or wants to fund a terrorist group or wants to fund purchase of military equipment. And there's so much military equipment today all over the place. Police departments have military equipment. Federal agencies have military equipment. Individuals have military equipment in some states. I mean, just imagine what they could do, the havoc they can create. Now, we know that loners can can create a lot of havoc, but usually loners die quickly and they're gone. What's really dangerous is organizations who can sustain of hundreds of people or thousands of people. Now, again, I'm not I'm not as worried because partially I think that um, these organizations are monitored. I think it's hard to do this kind of stuff. Stealth, I think that all these militias and all these groups, the Timothy McVeys of the world, as soon as they try to organize beyond one, two, five people, the FBI and other entities discover them and, and shut them down. But there are real possibilities and and you can see it right now with the kind of angst and the kind of hatred. I mean, what's going on today in America, I think, is unprecedented, certainly since the actual civil war, in terms of the hatred. I mean, people in red and blue states, some people in red and blue states, hate each other's guts. They really, really, really think that their fellow Americans are the enemy. And they are willing to cheat, they are willing to lie. And maybe the scariest to me is they're willing to follow. They're willing to accept tribalism. They're willing to accept the verdict of their tribe and do what the tribe tells them to do. And that's how you get into real civil wars. That's how you get into bloodshed. Is when people blindly blindlessly follow. So we could stumble into civil war. We could have uh, small-sized militias drag us into a civil war. As long as the hatred and, and, and the inability to speak to one another and the inability to trust anything that the other side does is there, civil war is a real possibility. And look, civil war is not the only way our country... Could end as a country, and and it har- horrifies me to even talk about this. But this is the reality we face. I really do think this country's never been in worse state again since the original Civil War. I think the country's falling apart. I think we have the most pathetic political leadership in all of American history. I don't think we've ever had it worse. With somebody like uh, Trump representing the right, and a and a Biden Obama kamala or whoever representing the left can it get any worse than this who and with these people who are supposed to be the mature leaders these i mean trump and biden are pretty mature what childlike ignorant and stupid is there any chance that if they're this ignorant and stupid, that the, the, the people who just follow them blindly any better? Yes, and you have, you know, in Congress, you have, uh, you know, representing, uh, you know, the left, you have AOC, you have Marjorie Green, But not that AOC or Marjorie Green are going to take up weapons. I think they're, they're, they're probably both pathetic militants. But they, certainly with their rhetoric, and I think Marjorie Green here, is more likely to take up weapons than the AOC. AOC so is just too wimpish and coddled and, 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 and pathetic to be able to do it. I think Marjorie Green is much more, when it comes to use of violence, probably more capable with a gun than AOC is. So I don't expect a civil war, but it's something one should contemplate. And again, it's not the only way America can end. Let's look at some scenarios. This is again from John Hawkins. He's got he's got five scenarios. And and I don't know that I would make these my five, but these are not bad. Five scenarios which could lead us basically to the end of the US as we know it. And potentially the Civil War. Well, one, which I think is more further into our future, but is definitely a a real one. And one that if, and and then the thing is about all these, I'll, I'll just note, is that all of this is reversible. It requires leadership. It requires reason. It requires people actually listening and talking. It requires marginalizing the insane insane voices, marginalizing the complete wackos. But the fact is that most of this country is not with AOC, and most of this country is not with Marjorie Greene, that most of this country is much saner than either one of them. But that's the problem. The problem is that when the majority, the sane majority, silent or the sane majority is ignorant or the sane majority is confused and and won't take a stand then what happens is that the people in the wacky extremes are the ones dragging the country in their direction dragging you where they want to go and the sane middle middle is never completely sane, but the sane moderates call it, don't stand for anything, don't believe in anything, won't fight for anything, and are easily dragged away. And philosophically, don't really object either to the extreme right or the extreme left. And they're just dragged to where they were taken. And you fall into civil war, not over something like slavery, which is clear cut and, 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 and the standards are clear cut and victories clear cut and exactly what's going on, these states versus those states. You're dragged into it because you hate the other tribe. So a few things that can happen to cause the end of this great experiment that is the United States of America. Well, one is bankruptcy. I mean, this country could go bankrupt. You could actually see, uh, you know, real economic depression, the federal government not being able to pay its debts, the federal government not being able to pay Social Security payments, Medicare payments without hyperinflating, or if it does hyperinflate, those payments being meaningless. You could see real economic struggles and real economic collapse. That could lead to states seceding, seceding and saying we're shrugging off federal debt. I mean, you can see California, Oregon, Washington creating their own state. You can see some of the southern states creating Texas, creating their own country, and, and just saying to hell with all the federal government, all the loans they've taken on, all the debt they have, and all the obligations Social Security and Medicare. They can't keep up with that anyway. We're seceding. Hawkins makes the point that secession is unlikely before bankruptcy for the simple reason, and it's, think how corrupt this is, He thinks secession is unlikely for the simple reason that people are not willing to give up their Medicare and Social Security. And if, let's say, Texas seceded tomorrow, then the residents of Texas would no longer be qualified to get Social Security and Medicare, and that would prevent them from voting for secession. (laughs) So the welfare state is keeping us together. I mean, how scary is that? So bankruptcy would obviously entail a real collapse and secession would be won. You could could see civil war. You could see people fighting over the leftovers of what is a a great American state or whatever wealth is left. People just going after each other to try to reach it. And look, the reality is though nobody, left or right, wants to talk about it. Nobody, including so-called conservatives, want to talk about this. The fact is that we today sit on well over $100 trillion of liabilities, if you include the unfunded liabilities of Social Security and Medicare, We're sitting on a powder keg of debts that we cannot pay back. And nobody is figuring out how to deal with it. Nobody's talking about reforming Social Security and Medicare. I guess, what's his name? Johnson from Wisconsin just mentioned it that maybe we should reform Medicare and Social Security. He had some, I mentioned an idea, which I don't think is a particularly good one, but I mentioned an idea about it, and he's being blasted. Nobody talks about this. Certainly Trump never talked about this, about actually reforming Medicare and Social Security, which you would have to do. Nobody's talking about running surpluses to actually start paying off the debt. Nobody. Cut government spending? Actually cut spending? Nobody is proposing that. The last person who proposed that Was Rand Paul in a previous life Because it certainly is not the Rand Paul of today Wouldn't dare to propose that today In the current Republican Party So we Our country Is clearly Clearly Economically out of control Uh, Biden is delusional And the Democrats are delusional And the Republicans who voted for this CHIPS bill a delusional into thinking that what this economy needs is more government spending, more debt. And on top of that, let's regulate, let's pick winners and losers in the tech space, the one free space we still have. Let's intervene. Let's end globalization. These things are going to destroy this country economically. And it's not going to be pretty when it happens. You're not going to want to be here when it happens. You're not going to want to experience a consequence when it happens. And is that going to lead to violence? Absolutely. Because when this pie starts shrinking, pie, I hate using the term pie, but in this sense, it's a good term because when the economy starts shrinking, everybody's fighting over the leftovers. And if people are armed and they're organized around tribes and organized around militias, They will start fighting, and you could have riots in the streets, and you could have violent groups stealing from one another. And you can see the breakdown of society, for example, as illustrated in Atlas Shrugged. And the military, it won't even be about anything in principle. What's the military going to do in that point? It's just going to watch as Americans fight each other and destroy each other. And this is the most... Notice, this is the one scenario, of all the scenarios, this is the one scenario... That if we don't do anything right now It's just going to happen Because It's just kind of the inevitable Consequence of the status quo It's just what's going to happen If nobody does anything If we just let this country drift In the direction it's already drifting Bankruptcy Is almost inevitable It's little we can do, except start now, really making changes. But of course, that, it's much better to talk about trans and woke and and, and stuff like that than to talk about economic freedom and economic liberty and economic growth and shrinking, gov- shrinking the role of government and actually cutting government spending and getting this country's economy back on a sustainable path. Why talk about that? That's complicated and nobody likes that stuff. So one scenario is economic collapse. The other scenario, and that, that scenario is the kind of scenario where if we just don't do anything, it seems like it's going to happen. Whether it's in 10 years or 40 years, it's going to happen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The second scenario is one that could happen soon. Much sooner than later. And this one is a civil war. And this one is does play out ugly in the short run. And that's what happens if we stop believing in election results. What happens if elections are being stolen and we're convinced they're being stolen and we all know it's being stolen? What happens if Trump runs in 24, loses and declares himself a winner? What happens if some states like Arizona, where he's got his cronies in or in Georgia? Well, Georgia, he doesn't have his cronies in, but Arizona and maybe Michigan and Wisconsin and some other places where Trump has gotten his cronies voted in, what happens if they decide that they're going to back Trump in spite of the fact that he's lost? What happens if Texas says that if the federal government doesn't recognize that Trump won, they're going to secede? What happens if whoever the Democratic nominee won't concede and we've got two people claiming the presidency we've got basically a congress that is divided because the democrats control the senate maybe and the house is controlled by republicans and they can't make a decision and the delegates is a complete mess because some states are sending in the delegates based on the election some states are sending in the delegates based on made-up stuff that the governor has decided to do What happens then? Who rallies to whose side? This is where what the military decides to do is so crucial. And if the military decides to back one side and not the other, is there a split in the military? Do some people within the military object and spin off? Does the military move in one uniform direction? And If we don't believe in the elections, no matter who ultimately wins, then why not just suspend the elections? Or if you don't like that scenario because it's too anti-Trump scenario, well, what if the left somehow wins the House and the Senate and the presidency and does away with the filibuster? Let's say in the Senate they win 52 seats and they and they maintain the House and they do away with the filibuster. And then they, they load up on the, on the Supreme Court and they cha- they pass election laws that Republicans think are, are clearly cheating. What, what, what do you think happens then? Are people just going to... You know, if, if the court is stacked, if now we've got, I don't know, 15 judges instead of nine... Are people just going to shrug and say, fine, no problem, we'll go on? Which to some extent they did during the Great Depression when FDR threatened to stack the courts and the court just flipped on him and, and, and he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do. Would that happen today? Probably not. You could imagine real fighting in the streets. You could imagine a real split. You could imagine real challenges. You could imagine a civil war. You could imagine people getting violent over this. And if not, does it matter? Because in both scenarios, let's say if the military takes one side on a disputed election, well, what why would we think that we're ever gonna see an election again? Why should we? Once you have the military taking sides politically, aren't you now banana republic, an authoritarian regime? Where the military has to back the political candidate in order to be successful, in order to achieve anything. Even if we don't get a civil war, isn't that already the end of America? Isn't that where Republicans are pushing us by declaring the 2020 election illegitimate and moving already to declare the 2024 illegitimate if they lose? Isn't it what Democrats are pushing for when they say they're going to stack the court when they want to do away with the filibuster and just ram everything through on majority rule no matter what it is that they're ramming through. It's the end of the kind of liberty and freedoms that we expect in this country. Or what if there are you know, uh, that, that, so those are two scenarios that he brings up. A third scenario is, uh, you know, out of control, violent political groups. And you can see that over time. The, 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 the Antifas of, on the left and, and, and kind of the, the Proud Boys or whatever groups on the right, militias, becoming more professional, getting involved in more killings starting to fight each other with guns on a regular basis you can imagine the government in the middle not wanting to do anything not wanting to do anything as the violence accelerates more people get involved more people join up and ultimately the military is split and we get a kind of a civil war or maybe we just get secession which i think again is probably secession is probably the most likely path to civil war i mean what really happens if texas secedes and california secedes are they just going to be fine, go? Or is there going to be an effort to keep the union together is going to be an effort to actually? Of course, you know, on the right, uh, the, 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 the scenario for civil war has always been when they come for the guns, right? When they do mass gun confiscation, that's going to lead to revolution and that's going to lead to war. And maybe that's true. I, I, you know, you'd, you'd find it hard to believe that anybody would be so stupid to try to confiscate American guns um, because I, I think what they're going to encounter is violence. And who is going to actually do the confiscating? Police? A police in Texas going to go out and confiscate guns for the federal government. They're not going to agree to do that. So to what extent can the federal government even impose its will on certain states, on police forces, on even the military? if it's deemed by those groups as unconstitutional. All right. So, at the end of the day, I think, in the short run, the most likely scenario for civil war, I I don't think there's going to be a civil war over uh, the FBI, um, the FBI... uh, you know, raid on Trump. And, and, and if, if, if Trump gets arrested and tried, I don't think there'll be a civil war. I find it hard to believe that the country, even on the right, is, is, is so bad as to rush into civil war because of Donald Trump. I mean, God, of all the people in the world to go to fight for, to fight for Donald Trump, it's hard to believe. I think the country generally is way too comfortable, way too set in its ways, way too lazy, way too unprincipled, way too pragmatic, way too short term, way too nonviolent to actually engage in violence. I think that you will get increased violence. So I think I think we're definitely going to see an increase in political violence. I told you, by the way, that if Biden got elected, Antifa and BAM would disappear. There would be no riots, no demonstrations. And that's right. They, they'd be shut down by the left, not because they like Biden, not because they appreciate Biden, but because the only way they can act, the only way they can actually... Uh, go out there into the streets and do what they do is if the local authorities allow it. And the local authorities don't want upheaval during a Biden administration so it doesn't exist. But you could see an environment in which you, you know, if, if, if the government continues to attack Trump, uh, if Trump gets arrested, that there is violence from the right, that they're all... But for the most part, what I've seen so far is incompetence, you know, uh, uh, single crazy shooters going out there and shooting the place up. And I think we'll see more of that, not less. I will definitely think we'll see more political violence. And if, if the left feels weak and if the left wants to assert itself and if the left wants to make a big deal, yeah, there'll be more BAM and Antifa riots. There'll be more burning down. So political violence is definitely part of our future and it's definitely going to be on the rise. but I don't see a civil war. I don't see the competence. I don't see the willingness. I don't see the ability to engage in such a war unless you force the military to make a choice. And this to me is the number one scenario for violence in America and for authoritarianism for the end of America. And that is a contested election which forces the military to pick its side in which, in a sense, we move from the system we have today to a system that is where the, where the, the power to be is guaranteed by the military, and then you could get secessions, then you could get states objecting, and that is the path I think in the short run. In the long run, economic collapse is quite viable. For now, though, I think most of the talk of the civil war is to get is to get attention. Uh, most of the talk of the Civil War is to rile your base up, to to send in money. It's like like Donald Trump has made a fortune off of this raid on Mar-a-Lago. I mean, his fundraising has intensified dramatically, and people are sending in checks. So there's a huge um, advantage of playing the victim and of fear-mongering. And causing people to fear something like a civil war, Daniel says, "No civil war. We're too fat." Yeah, I mean, maybe the challenge is, what do the non-fat people do, right? So, I think the likelihood of civil war is small, but rising. But rising, Um, and I think this is something that you know, most sane people, both among Democrats and Republicans, need to take seriously and do something about it. And there is a way to defuse this, but it has to require, because political violence is gonna rise and we want to defuse that. Even if it's not a civil war, it's not gonna be pleasant. And indeed, life in America today is not very pleasant well, you can't even talk politics to people, with people. So how do you lower the temperature? As Trump asked the, uh, Trump, Trump made this announcement about wanting to lower the temperature with the Justice Department, and then went on to accuse them of all kinds of stuff. Exactly the opposite of lowering the temperature. So uh, I, you know, I think election integrity is the biggest issue facing us right now, and that's because of because of Trump's accusations against the election have made that the number one issue that could really trigger violence in this country, and that needs to be handled. And and what what I fear what I fear is that the people that have been elected in some of these states. We don't know that they've been elected. The, the, the Republican nominees, if they get elected, are going to make this issue a thousand times worse, a thousand times worse uh, as we move into the future. Uh, with with Trump, you know, if it's not Trump running, I think I think there's a lot of, I mean, just Trump not being there uh, takes the heat away. It's it, it takes so much of the heat away. Any other Republican candidate. I would say the fear of civil war is minimal to to zero. With Trump, there's a real fear, partially because Trump has created a cult of personality around him. So many people in the Republican side worship Trump. They, They won't admit it. They all hate Trump as a human being. They just like his policies. Everybody says that, but that's not actually the case. They actually love him, and they will do anything for him. All right, so for what it's worth, um, the the two things that we can do to prevent civil war is one, get the finances of this country right. The second is diffuse this issue, get rid of this issue about elections, right? And um, ultimately get this country on the right philosophical path because if we don't get the country on the right philosophical path, if we don't get the country away from the mixed economy and statist, tribalist, collectivist ideas which dominate the right and the left today, then something bad is going to happen. I don't know what exactly it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be. But something bad is inevitable if the statist ideas are not dealt with. And again, neither right nor left seem interested in dealing with, with these fundamentals. All right. Um, let's see, Adam, wow. Adam says, "Hi, you on? I have to catch this content later, but wanted to jump on quick to contribute. Something tells me you correctly disagreed with both sides on the Trump issue. Yes. I'm not obese, but dq myself on account of my objectivity. Yes. Thank you, Adam. That was $100. Thanks, Adam. Um really appreciate the support. And yeah, I think at the end of the day, I am right on the Justice Department thing. I think both sides are wrong. Um, and, and it's it's at this point, we don't have enough information To figure out uh, how bad things are really going. Um, There is no evidence, let's just be clear. There is no evidence of uh, large scale fraud in the 2020 election. Period. No evidence. Period. So there's no reason to discuss it anymore. None. I mean, Trump is lying, he knows he's lying. He's lying for particular for, for he's lying for political gain. He's lying because the lie keeps his people together. The lie is something that allows him allows other people to have something they can focus on, um, and um, and it's it it provides him with a grievance that will ultimately that will ultimately. Um, allow him to claim that he wins future elections, allow him to claim whatever he wants. Once people accept the lie, once people accept um, his attempt to steal an election as legitimate, and what Trump did from beginning to end was an attempt to steal an election. Once people accept uh, the legitimacy of him trying to steal an election, well, people are going to learn from that and more... Attempts to steal elections are going to happen, and so the deterioration, uh, uh, y- you know, the the, the risk of uh, for, to election integrity going into the future is all on Trump, all on Trump. Um. All right. H- Hiram says, "I'm forty-seven years old, and I run." Under 19 and a half minutes for 3.1 miles in boots. I also do 15 set of 130, 15 sets of 130 push-ups. So each set is 130 push-ups, and you can do 15 of those. Really? I didn't know that was even possible. All right, Hiram, you're in amazing shape. I want to be on your side when the Civil War comes. Thomas writes, given the problem with political violence on both the left and the right, is Ragnar a difficult character to justify now? Rand explains him, but do you think she would have written him differently if she was writing today? Oh, God. I have no idea what Rand would would write today or think today. You know, that's beyond my abilities. Um, I don't think Ragnar... Represents, I, I I think, given that Ragnar doesn't represent a side on the political violence spectrum today, I don't think there's any problem with having Ragnar as a character. Um, he is a character devoted to justice. He is a character that I think today would be portrayed as as fighting all sides because all sides are status sides. Um, I think. You know, I, I don't see why you would change the character of Ragnar. Ragnar, uh, there is a time when the good guys are going to have to resort to violence. So whether that time is now or not is a good question. But the good guys, the people standing for individualism and liberty and freedom, which are not represented today in the political marketplace, but the good guys, uh, you know, uh, are not going to give up on violence so uh, to defend themselves. So uh, I don't see why. Um, I don't see why anything would change with the with the All right, Robert says ten dollars. Just ten dollars for a cup of coffee in California. I think you still get a cup of coffee in California for ten dollars. Thanks. Uh, Emanuel's $10 with a thank you. Thanks, Emanuel. Uh, by the way, we're running out of Super Chat questions. If you'd like to jump in with a Super Chat question, that would be great. You can ask about anything. You can ask about the topic or any other topic that you like. I haven't gotten any questions on civil war, on uh, on the state of America, um, I mean, the closest I've got is Daniel saying we we Americans are overweight to begin a civil war. That's the closest I've got. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else here that's on there. But yeah, I'd love questions. I know there's a lot of people in the chat uh, complaining and bitching and disagreeing with me and claiming I'm full of it and everything. But will they put $2 or $5 to make a comment and ask a question? Of course not. So why would we ever want to Anyway, uh, Thomas, is democracy properly defined as voters choosing certain government officials or voters deciding all questions? Could democracy be totalitarian? Most totalitarian states make a point of not allowing any meaningful voting. I mean, democracy is a confusing term because democracy, in its um, original definition or you know majority rule which is what democracy is or in its athenian manifestation is where the citizens vote on everything and then you can get the the dictatorship of the majority you can get the majority controlling and and oppressing the minority through a vote they could do anything they could they could kill you by vote they could do anything there's no limitation modern democracies have some limitations different countries have different constitutions, they have different legal traditions that restrict what, is, what, what you can vote on, what you're allowed to vote on, right? So that is, that is what restricts them. So they're not pure democracies, and they're not pure majority rule. America is, was suddenly established as a republic where the citizens don't have much direct vote um, and and it and certainly the founding fathers were anti democracy in that sense. They wanted to distance the decision making from the voters. So the only democratic part of of uh, of the American government is the House of Representatives, right? But this, um, but you still have elections in America. She can still argue that parts of America are democratic to the extent there are elections. Today, we also, of course, have direct voting for senators. Uh, but at least the founders envisioned this as a republic. And I think, uh, and I think pure democracy is an evil. Pure democracy is, is evil like authoritarianism, like totalitarianism. Uh, the system we have today is a mixture. We have still Republican elements left over from our Constitution. Our Constitution does, to some extent, a small and small extent, uh, uh, our Constitution does this, uh, still constrains what Congress can vote on. Uh, they can't limit free speech, for example, unless you're a corporation, then they can't limit your free speech. So uh, commercial speech, so-called, they can limit. So it's not the way I would like it, but but... The ability of Congress to vote on anything is restrained. So we live in a uh, part democracy, part uh, republic, where the republic part is shrinking and the democracy part is expanding. Um, So, um, but pure democracy is a pure evil and um uh, and and luckily, we don't have that yet in this country, but we're moving in that direction. That's what uh has been happening to this country for the last hundred and something years as we're moving away from the Republican vision of founders and more and more towards a democratic vision uh Hiram uh, Hiram says, "I'm not taking sides being an endurance athlete doesn't mean a hill of beans. I'm scared." If something like you're talking about happens, you're on, then I'm looking for someone, somewhere to hide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would you fight? On whose side would you fight? Who are the good guys? That's what's scary about this. What's scary about a civil war that looks like it might happen is who are the good guys? They're no good guys. So, um, uh, you know, I am not, um, I, I would be scared, and I'm not taking sides because I I don't know who the good guys are um, if it was a proper revolution if it was a revolution for freedom for liberty for individual rights then I would fight even though I'm old I can't do 15 set of 130 push-ups that I cannot do I, you know but I can do some push-ups I'm in decent shape um, but um, nowhere like that right uh, I was swimming today and I'm, I'm <laughs> Pretty pathetic, put it that way. <laughs> um I don't know who the good guys are. Not in not in the world in which we live. The left and the right, there are no good guys there. They're no good guys in, in our existing political system. They're degrees of evil, they're degrees of bad guys, they're all collectivists, they're all altruists, and they're all statists. None of that is good guys. And if you think if you think that you know you know, they are real good guys in these political parties, then you're delusional. They're not, I would say, even more. Then There's no political party and there are no politicians today representing America. There are no Americans left in American politics. Not if you understand America as the land of the free. Not if you understand America... As the land of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, none of you understand America as the land of individual rights and the land of capitalism. There are no American politicians today. They're all a bunch of Europeans. We're dominated by European left and European right. That's what American politics is today. It's European. It's always been, America's always been, sadly, philosophically dominated by Europe. And now, unsurprisingly, it is today dominated politically by Europe. And no, the right is not good. The right is not virtuous. The right is not pro-individual rights. I read you the, the, the charter of the conservative Republicans, of the conservative nationals. They don't mention individual rights. They don't mention individualism. They want control. They want control over you. They want control over the economy. They want control over your money. They want control over your bedroom. They want control. You could argue the left wants more control. Fine. Fine. But then it's degrees of evil. But they all want control. You find me a Republican who stands for individual rights. Find me a Republican who stands for liberty. They're not there. So, I mean, again, you can prefer one party on the other. I get it. But there is no American political party today. There is no political party today that stands for American values or that even knows what American values are. Emmanuel, turning out, turning out politics, example talk of civil war, and focusing on my goals in life has made me so much happier. I watch YBA, Iran Book Show, to understand the bare minimum of what I need to know on political topics. Good. I mean, I think you should be the model for people out there because I I really think that too many people focus too much of their time and attention and energy and anxiety on politics. And, uh, you know, there are no good guys out there, but, you know, so you start dealing with shades of, 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 of gray and you start compromising with evil and, You get consumed by it, and it destroys your ability to to, to live happily and be well. And we still live in a place. We still live in a time in history. We still live in a country where you can still achieve a lot personally. You can still live an amazing life personally. You can still live here and be successful, right? And if you focus on that, as Emmanuel says he has, and... You know, you need to know some things in politics because your life depends on it and, and you want to know what's going on. You find a few sources, you focus on those, but you put your energy and your focus and, uh, and your time into living the best life that you can live. That's how most of you should be living. And, you know, if you use me as, as the means to understand the world of politics out there, that's great. I, you know, uh, I'll, I'll I'll take that as a major compliment. Richard says, recommend strongly now Sinclair Lewis's novel, It Can't Happen Here, and looking up to Sinclair Lewis, Ayn Rand's admiration for It Can't Happen Here by Shoshana Milgram, available at the Ayn Rand East store, carry on, you on. Yeah, I agree. It Can't Happen Here is a, is a, is a powerful novel. Ayn Rand uh, liked it. Um, I should, because I can't remember if I've read it or not. I probably haven't. I should probably look it up and and read it myself. Thank you, Richard. Jeffrey uh, says, I used to think health inspectors should not exist at all. I've concluded recently that there's a legitimate purpose for them, but only in response to incidents as opposed to inspections without cause. Any thoughts? I mean... I doubt that there's any reason for health inspectors, and and partially, it's because I think that the market evolves means to deal with problems like this. So, what is an incidence? Let's say food poisoning. Well, I mean, food poisoning. What is the government? Why would the government intervene? Is is food poisoning a rights violation? I mean, food poisoning can happen. Uh, for a variety of reasons, it, you know I guess it could be negligence. So to the extent that maybe if you see a pattern of uh, that and somehow for some reason the market's not dealing with it and you could argue that there's in a sense fraud or endangerment because of the way people are handling their kitchen or whatever, then the government would intervene. okay, maybe. But I suspect, That if you did away with food inspectors and you let the world know you're doing away with food inspectors and you just allowed the market to do its thing, then what you would see is the market developing mechanisms by which you would um, deal with situations like, um, uh, you know, legitimate issues of hygiene and legitimate issues like that. You you know, you might have, for example... um, Voluntary uh, food uh, food inspectors, where the restaurant would uh, would allow them in, and they would publish ratings, and they would rate. And and if you went to a restaurant that wasn't rated, then it's your risk and it's your responsibility. And restaurants, hopefully, would probably display their cleanliness rating or their their hygiene rating on the window or on their website or whatever the place may be. So I can see that you could um, you could easily, I think, solve the issues that are raised by problems with food uh, voluntarily without involving the government, without involving the state, which I think is the right way to solve problems like this. So um, I think you would have inspections, but they wouldn't be government inspections they would be inspection by voluntary association. And the same thing with the FDA. The FDA is an important institution to have something like it, but it's immoral and illegitimate for the state to impose an FDA. And what you need is is private FDAs competing with one another and find, and the market will find, the kind of business model that makes that possible. And any kind of attempt to impose uh, a system of food inspection or impose and FDA on us is uh, a violation of our freedoms and a violation of our liberties. But generally, if there's a pattern of harm to people, then the state certainly should investigate, if nothing else, because there could be a rights violation going on. And that's true of restaurants like everything else. But then I wouldn't call it food inspection. Then it's more like a police investigating a potential crime. Daniel uh, writes uh, China's GDP is something like 2%, I believe. GDP is 2%? You mean GDP growth is 2%? Given that they have huge amounts of government spending intended to inflate their GDP, is their real GDP shrinking? Since GDP measures government spending, uh, what about ours? I mean, GDP measures government spending, among other things. It doesn't only uh, 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 involve government spending. It also involves uh, other types of spending and and, uh, other measures. Uh, But but I, I do think that right now... Uh, China is probably shrinking economically. I I think China's probably in a recession or probably has negative economic growth right now. How bad it is, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows because it's so important, impossible to get real data and accurate data out of China. But I think all indications are that it's bad and shrinking because the official numbers that they're reporting are bad and we know they manipulate them. So if the official manipulated numbers are bad, the real numbers are probably much worse. So my expectation is that the Chinese economy is in negative growth mode right now. It, you know, the, 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 they're trying to pump up the economy. They've just lowered interest rates. They're increasing government stimulus. They're increasing government spending in the hope that that'll do something. But they have got major problems. I mean, well, I, I did a show recently about the Chinese economy and all the problems they have there. We could do, I could do uh, more shows on that and probably will as 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 we get more information about what's going on. But there's no question... That there is real challenges of the Chinese economy. And again, all the people that forever thought that China was invincible and China was going to take over the world and China was this and China was that, I've always said, always said, you know, that as long as China's an authoritarian regime and the more authoritarian China becomes, the less powerful it will become, the less economic growth it will sustain, uh, the more it regulates, the more it controls. The slower the economic growth is i mean we just passed this chip bill which unfortunately is going to be bad for the chip industry in the us but china's chip industry is in freefall it's collapsing i mean what we really should be doing is 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 figuring out how to get the taiwanese chip industry and the korean chip in, industry to diversify their manufacturing outside of korea and japan to other continents and to other countries and to other other places, including maybe the United States. But China's not a threat when it comes to chips. I mean, the, but the problem is that our politicians need enemies. They need monsters. They need monsters so that you give up your liberties, you give up your dollars, you give up your freedom to go fight the monsters. And China's been a monster for a long time that we have to fight. Um, and, you know, and this is, this is a way in which our politicians gain power. China is pretty impotent right now. You can see that in the fact that they won't take Taiwan. Taiwan's a tiny little island. you think that with 1.2 billion people, Chinese could just run it over. And yet, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. When you're an authoritarian regime and you're fighting against a free, technologically advanced society like Taiwan is, even though it's tiny as compared to what you are. Uh, Ashton. Thank you, Ashton. $50. I think when people say war, they don't really know what actually was. I know they don't. But, a uh, but, a, but, a, but if secession ever were to happen, to either a blue or red state, the American people would be ready to bring them back into the fold. Um, I, I, think, I think secession is the path to a civil war, because I think that there were enough Americans who would not be willing to just roll over and let secession happen, uh, I think also the cause of the secession would be a real disagreement about th- something fundamental. And I think secession is probably the path of civil war. You also have militarized forces at the state level, National Guards, uh, and of militias that could engage in such a war. So, and, and, and I think, again, the military would split. So I do think that secession is a real danger, a real danger, and it could lead to real war. Uh, But most people don't know what, I agree completely, Ashton, most people don't know what war is, they don't know what the experience of war is, how how mind-changing it is, how life-changing it is, how destructive it is, how horrific it is. I think most people, when they think of war, think of video games, um, you know, and, and, uh, and movies, because... How many Americans have actually had the experience of war? Very, very few. This is not like post-World War II, where again, about 11% of Americans were in the military. Less than 1% of Americans in the military and a lot fewer than that actually see combat. Reggie asks, how do you sense how do you sense check, check goals like buying a sports car? It feels like there is a fine line between women enjoying values now. I don't need it, but I want it because it's fun and beautiful and I can afford. Yeah, so the question is, if you can afford and it brings you pleasure, um, then what's the problem, right? So... You know, so, so if you buy a sports car and you buy a, a nice flashy sports car, why is that an issue? Unless, by buying the sports car, you're sacrificing something. And, and what could you be sacrificing? You could be sacrificing because you need the money for something else. But you say you can afford it, um, and you really need to think. One of the one of the one of the whole points in creating a hierarchy of values in objectivism is you really want to position the values appropriately, in a, in, a, in a way that's that's right, right for your life. So you can afford the car, but, would have, but, but what does that mean? Does afford mean you don't have to give up any real values in order to attain it or the values you have to give up in order to attain it are minimal? Um, so it, it really is a question of a hierarchy of values. It really is a question of, look, there's nothing wrong with fun and beautiful. Fun and beautiful are fun and beautiful. They're great. Fun and beautiful are values. It's a question of what are you giving up to get fun and beautiful. And if it's money you can afford to give up, cool. If it's money you can't afford to give up, then it's whim. If because you buy the car, you won't be doing something more important than buying a car to your life, to your future, then it's a sacrifice. Don't do it. Then it's whim. But if you've taken everything into account and you know your financial situation and you've done some long-term planning and you're completely aware of, of what it all entails and you still can afford it, then absolutely go with fun and beautiful. So one of the problems is that we live in a culture dominated by Christianity where fun and beautiful make you feel guilty. Wait a minute. I'm not supposed to have fun. I'm not supposed to have beautiful things. I'm supposed to suffer and sacrifice and, and, you know, so so fun and beauty are the uh, that's not moral. It can't be moral to do fun and beauty. Fun and beauty, are the opposite of morality. So there's a tug, there's a tug, uh, drawing you away from fun and beautiful because fun and beautiful are self interested. Fun and beautiful are selfish. Fun and beautiful are not Christian. Christianity is the anti fun and beautiful. Christianity is the epitome of ugly and pain. I mean, just think of, just think, I mean, you want to think of Christianity, think of, um, of, uh, uh, what's his name? August. I-